Tegan, you know how podcasts are a lot like life? <laughs> Tell me, Chris. I'd love to hear it. Sometimes you got plans and sometimes you got to throw the plans out the window because something else comes up. Breaking news, Chris. The headline in The Hill, special counsel describes Biden as, quote, elderly man with a poor memory, end quote, in eyebrow raising report. Special counsel Robert Hur on Thursday released a 388-page report on President Biden's retention of classified material, finding the president frequently showed limitations with his memory and recall. While the report concluded no charges should be brought against the president, its language describing Biden, 81, is likely to be campaign fodder for Republicans who have repeatedly raised questions about the president's ability to serve. Some of the language came off looking like a gift to Trump's presidential campaign. In opting not to bring charges, Per cited the shortage of evidence, but also how Biden would present himself to a jury. Quote, we have also considered that at trial, Mr. Biden would likely present himself to a jury, as he did during our interview of him, as a sympathetic, well-meaning, elderly man with a poor memory, Her wrote. Based on our direct interactions with and observations of him, he is someone for whom many jurors will want to identify reasonable doubt. It would be difficult to convince a jury that they should convict him, by then a former president well into his 80s, of a serious felony that requires a mental state of willfulness. Back to the writer, the report on more than one occasion refers to Biden struggling to remember things when he spoke to a ghostwriter for his memoir, as well as when he was speaking to investigators. How big of a deal is this, Tegan? You know, unfortunately, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal for Biden and for the Biden campaign. What immediately came to mind was Hillary Clinton's email server. We heard about that email server throughout the 2016 campaign. It was relentless in the coverage in the New York Times. What was she doing with the email server? What were her motivations? Her own waffling defense, her lack of transparency, her lack of trust of the media. You know, as I wrote in a piece for Political Wire readers, it helped Trump put the crooked into crooked Hillary. Many people assumed when they went to the polls that Hillary Clinton had done something illegal. And when James Comey reopened his investigation into the email server just days before the 2016 election, you'll remember the Anthony Weiner laptop incident, many voters didn't think that that case had ever ended and assumed that Hillary Clinton was in some sort of legal predicament. Well, the problem is, is that Joe Biden's age is becoming a similar problem for him. Regardless of whether you think he's been a good president or not, the simple reality of his candidacy right now is the majority of Americans tell pollsters that he's far too old and that, you know, there's the simple reality about age, unlike an email server, is that biologically he's not getting any younger. Neither are you, Chris. I make the comparison to the email server because I don't think that Democrats in 2016 took it seriously. They thought that they could justify what Hillary Clinton had done with the facts. And when it was concluded that she had not compromised national security, they thought that would be enough. But the reality of politics is that sometimes facts are not enough. Perception is what matters, particularly since it's voters and their perception that ends up deciding presidential elections. And so we have this special counsel report, but this comes after a week where Biden also referred to two dead European leaders that he had spoken to recently, even though they had been dead for years, one for 20 years. Yeah, Helmut Kohl and Francois Mitterrand. And those are mistakes, and any person can make mistakes like that and just misspeak. But the fact that he's done it twice, just this week alone, on top of this special counsel report, 
This is an alarm for the Biden campaign. It's time to take this very seriously because right now Biden is being portrayed as a elderly man with severe memory problems. And that's what Donald Trump has been saying. And that's what Americans think. And he might be completely lucid every single day. And he's been a good president up until this point. But sometimes politics just isn't fair, Chris. Hillary Clinton might want to tell him something about that. Yeah, the campaign tagline, elderly man with poor memory, that's a terrible campaign ad. And it's obviously no tagline that anyone would associate with their candidacy. As well, to your point on how voters look at this, I ran a piece from Gallup today in the newsletter, felonies, old age, heavily count against candidates from Gallup. Less than a third of Americans say they would be willing to vote for someone nominated by their party who is over the age of 80 or has been charged with a felony or convicted of a felony by a jury. Somewhat more, but still less than half of Americans, say they would consider backing someone nominated by their party who is a socialist. Polling was done between January 2nd and 22nd of this year, so obviously before today's Robert Herr report came out. So they've got this list. Americans' willingness to vote for various presidential candidate types. Would you vote for a woman? Would you vote for someone over the age of 70? Would you vote for an atheist? Would you vote for a socialist? People would rather vote for a socialist, 42%, than someone over the age of 80, 31%. The only two categories worse than being over the age of 80 is being charged with a felony crime, 29%, and being convicted of a felony crime by a jury at 23%. By the way, I wonder if after today's report, that might change. An elderly man with a poor memory is just a brutal tagline. I assume that this is where much of the commentary is going to go. What are the options? I'm not sure what the Biden campaign is going to do about that. That's kind of above my pay grade right now, but I'm sure there are plenty of people advising them. What they've done already is they've begun to attack Trump quite aggressively on his own misstatements, on his own indications and speeches that he may not be mentally lucid. Well, do you mean they're doing that today since her or the way that they've been doing this over the last, call it two weeks? Yeah, no, I'm referring to the last two weeks. This has been how they have approached this is they've attacked Trump on his own misstatements. And you want to know something? It's been effective. But the reality is it's probably not going to be sufficient. It's true that Trump is old. He's 77 years old. It's true that he makes misstatements all the time. It's true that he's probably not mentally lucid all the time. And, you know, pertaining to the Gallup poll that you said, it's also true that he's got 91 felony counts against him. So that's not a good thing. But the reality is, is that Biden has a perception problem and the Biden campaign needs to do something about it. So who is Robert Herr? The Washington Post writes that Herr is a veteran attorney who graduated from Harvard and Stanford and began his legal career as a Supreme Court clerk for then-Chief Justice William Rehnquist. He went on to work as a federal prosecutor, led a U.S. attorney's office, served as a top Justice Department official during the Trump administration, and spent time working for some of the most prominent law firms in Washington. Wait, what? Served as a top Justice Department official during the Trump administration. You mean Merrick Garland appointed a special counsel who was a top official during the Trump administration? Is that something that the Biden folks are going to go after? Oh, absolutely. But at the same time, you know, he doesn't want to push too far because this is the same special counsel that found he did not commit any crimes or he's not going to charge him with any crimes in this investigation. So again, attacking the prosecutor, as Donald Trump has found out, isn't always the best path. 
But sure, they can certainly do that. The only problem with that defense is that it's Biden's appointee, Merrick Garland, who named him special counsel in the first place. And you know why Garland did that. He did that because it gave the investigation even more of a distance from the Biden appointees. But in this case, and certainly when you read this final report, it certainly seems like her is making a point, that he's making a political point. And describing him as an elderly man with significant limitations in his memory, it seems a bit gratuitous. It seems like something that he doesn't necessarily need to do, but he's taking the opportunity to play politics with this report. The Biden campaign can point that out as much as they want, but there is the simple reality that it was Merrick Garland who appointed him. Yes. The line, Mr. Biden would likely present himself to a jury, as he did during our interview of him, as a sympathetic, well-meaning, elderly man with a poor memory. That does not feel legalistic in its tone. It does feel like there's narrative there. On the other hand, that's the opportunity that a special counsel has. Just ask Ken Starr. We've seen it for years and years and years. This special counsel report clears Biden of any wrongdoing, not going to bring charges. He's good. And the question was the exact charge, one of the key charges, obviously, that Trump is facing about mishandling of classified documents. So at first glance, Biden's like, oh, great, I'm off. You know, just as I said, I did nothing wrong. And now all of the focus can go to where I'm sure from Biden's point of view, it ought to be to a legal charge of mishandling of classified documents by Trump. That is not the story. The story is going to be Let me get the phrasing right. Sympathetic, well-meaning, elderly man with a poor memory. That's some brutal branding. It is brutal. And even more brutal when you look at the immediate politics of the situation is that the headline of the report, Biden did nothing wrong with these classified documents, that gets buried. But this also comes at the end of a week when Donald Trump literally got slammed by the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals on his immunity case when Republicans in the House and in the Senate can't seem to get out of their own way, that should be the story headed into this weekend. That should be the story on the Sunday talk shows. That should be what cable television is talking about. I'm not so good at predicting the future sometimes, Chris. I suspect they're going to be talking about Biden's age more than those issues. No, if I'm booking a Sunday show right now, I'm booking neuroscientists. This is now going to be, I mean, maybe it was issue number one, although I guess the border allegedly was issue number one, though I guess you don't want legislation to actually solve issue number one. We'll get to that in the back half of this podcast. Biden's memory is now going to be issue number one. I feel like I let you off the hook just a little too easily a moment ago when I asked you what's next. You said, well, not sure what the Biden campaign will do. They'll keep attacking Trump or they've been attacking Trump. What about outside of the Biden campaign, outside of how they handle this politically and in their campaign? What happens around pressure around who the Democratic candidate is? I asked the question without meaning to sound as naive as the question appears, but the pressure's got to go up now on, is there another candidate instead of Biden? Well, Chris, you know how we say that we like to talk about brokered conventions and things like this? (laughs) Yes. Get ready for a lot of talk over the coming months about how do you replace a candidate? How does an open convention work if for some reason Joe Biden decides to step down or the powers that be in the Democratic Party realize that this isn't going to work out? I'm not predicting that. I don't think that's going to happen. Joe Biden has been a good president in my view. Joe Biden has made good decisions. I'm just saying that the perception of Biden right now has the potential to outrun all of that. And that would be a bad thing. 
there is one countervailing balance here, which is the fact that, again, to mention the Gallup poll, he's running against a guy who has 91 felony counts against him and who (laughs) likely has a trial or two or three, maybe even four before the election. That's not the strongest candidate to take down an elderly man with significant memory problems, according to the special counsel. Are we overreacting? We're recording this just as this is coming out. So we might be overreacting a little bit. But the fact is, when I heard this news, I went back to the Clinton campaign and I remembered the email server. And to this day, everyone asks, well, what about her emails? And the reality of that situation was, yes, her emails were a small issue relative to all the other things that we've experienced since Donald Trump came on the scene. But the political reality was that email server helped her lose that election. That was a very close election decided by three states. All the polls suggest right now, the polling averages show Biden trailing Trump. At best, he's tied with Trump. The higher quality polls show that it's a much closer race. It seems that this is going to be a very close race that could be decided by just a handful of states. And Biden already has the problem of dealing with potential third party candidates and how they may play into this. He does not need to have this age issue dogging him or becoming anywhere near equivalent in voters' minds as the fact that Donald Trump has 91 felony counts against him. That's a weakness for sure for Donald Trump. But if Joe Biden's age becomes a weakness as well, it could hurt voter turnout. It could cause swing voters to decide, well, Trump seems a little bit more energetic than Joe Biden, so maybe I'll vote for him. We don't know how it's going to play, but I don't think we're overreacting right now because I think that we had a lesson back in 2016 that you have to take these types of things seriously, even though politics isn't fair sometimes. So you can think about your answer while I give my answer. What are the three things that Biden should be doing right now? My three are, one, release a medical statement from your physician. Two, continue to attack Trump the way he has been and others have been around Trump's faulty memory and mistakes, et cetera. And three, and you and I talked about this a month or two ago, show Biden leading the government. Have you seen a picture of a cabinet meeting? Trump used to hold the cabinet meetings really just for the purpose of having the pictures and, of course, getting the gratuitous comments about him, but having those cabinet meetings. I haven't seen pictures of Biden leading cabinet meetings. I assume he does. Show those pictures, get Biden leading meetings, and then put out the surrogates on all of the talk shows talking about how all I can say is in every one of my engagements with him, he is locked in. I think that's good. What I would say, I'm not going to give you three. I'm going to give you one. Joe Biden needs to give a speech addressing his age head on, talking about his experience, talking about what he's done as president and how his age and experience has helped him. He can't change being old. That's a reality. But you know something? John F. Kennedy couldn't change being Catholic. Barack Obama couldn't change being black. Both of those men addressed it head on. They gave speeches about how, in Kennedy's case, about how he would never be controlled or run by the Catholic Church, as some had feared. And Barack Obama gave probably the best speech of his career in Philadelphia, talking about being an African-American and how that changed him and how that influenced his politics. 
Biden can't change his age, but he can give a speech. And when I look at the calendar, he has a speech coming up in about a month, which is the State of the Union address. I suggest that's where he make this speech. It's probably where he's going to get the most coverage, and I would address it head on. We will see what he does. An event and a week that will not leave many of our memories what is going on in Congress? And I mean both houses of Congress, and I mean the Republican leadership on both sides, meaning both houses. Washington Post reported GOP leaders face unrest among chaotic, bungled votes. Quote, that was a really massive failure, one House GOP lawmaker said Wednesday, of Johnson's decision to bring the Mayorkas vote to the floor, followed by a failed vote to pass $17.6 billion in aid to Israel. Quote, you combine that with what's going on right now with the whole Senate immigration debacle, the way these things have been handled, this is an opportunity for the White House to dump this on our lap, and that could be a huge political mistake. Then you posted, Senate Republicans are rudderless. It's difficult to out chaos the House Republican conference, but Senate Republicans are getting pretty darn close, Punchbowl News reports. Senate Republicans are rudderless. Their conference meetings regularly descend into angry conflict, and they're staring down a politically treacherous few days in which they'll struggle to, maybe, pass a $95 billion foreign aid package with a minority of Republicans supporting it all while hardline GOP conservatives vow to fight it every step of the way. And if you feel like you're in an endless border security Ukraine funding time loop, you're not alone. And I've got to read two quotes of the day that you posted, one from James Langford on the Senate floor on Wednesday said, quote, I had a popular commentator that told me flat out before they knew any of the contents of the bill, if you try to move a bill that solves the border crisis during this presidential year, I will do whatever I can to destroy you because I do not want you to solve this during the presidential election. Lankford continued, by the way, they have been faithful to their promise and have done everything they can to destroy me in the past several weeks. The second quote of the day from Josh Howley, quote, it's been a total disaster. Why would voters look at what goes on over here, this circus, and say we want more of this? I don't think the last three months could have been handled any worse than it has been handled from a leadership perspective. Tegan, what does it mean to be a political party? And is the Republican Party a functioning party? Well, they are a political party, but they're not a functioning party. And they don't have, as we've been talking about for as long as Trial Balloon has existed, and I've been writing about it for more than a decade, increasingly there isn't a ideological consistency across the party. So when you technically have the majority in the House, as Speaker Mike Johnson does, you should be able to get the votes for the things that you want. But the fact is, there's no consistency from the left to the right of that party. There are people who don't agree on some of the basic constructs of what the Republican Party means and what are the policy positions that the Republican Party stands for. And so when it comes to votes, you know, the vote this week on impeaching the Homeland Security Secretary or on a to Israel, you don't have a consistency there that allows you to get a majority, particularly when you have a very small handful of members who you can't afford to lose because it's such a small majority. So no, they're not a functioning party, certainly in the House. And the idea that this is metastasized to the Senate, there are similar but different reasons for that. Obviously, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has got more experience at being a leader of the Senate, but we know that McConnell has health issues. We know that McConnell, like Joe Biden, like Donald Trump, is old. He may not actually be at the top of his game. To use the phrase that seems to be the choice phrase around there, he might have lost his fastball, Chris. 
And he is also not in control of the left and the right of his party. And so you've got people like James Lankford and Josh Hawley on different sides of these issues. And Mitch McConnell is kind of caught in the middle and doesn't really know where to go. So into this vacuum floods chaos. And that's what we've seen this week on both the Senate and the House side. Why is compromise so hard to get? I thought that's what voters wanted. Well, you know, I wrote an interesting piece this week. Interesting, at least to me, Chris, maybe to my mom as well. (laughs) Self-described interesting. Yes. No, sure it was. Voters talk about wanting compromise, but they don't seem to vote for compromise. You know, we get an increasingly polarized system because voters want more pure politicians in their parties. They don't want people like Kirsten Sinema, who has essentially run out of the Democratic Party because of her attempts to be friendly to the Republican Party and try to find common ground. James Lankford, who negotiated and by all accounts did an excellent job negotiating a border security bill that Democrats grudgingly agreed to, he's been censured by the Oklahoma Republican Party. The Oklahoma Republicans went so far as to say they won't aid him in his reelection effort. I mean, it's remarkable. But if voters are going to vote for polarizing candidates, then they're going to get a polarized government that is not willing to compromise. So I feel bad for Senator Lankford, Senator Murphy, and Senator Sinema, who apparently did one of the all seemingly impossible tasks, which was create a bill that all sides had something in it that they could tout even though there were other things in the bill that they really disliked and that they agreed to. But at the end of the day, Republicans couldn't get their caucus to support it because, as we know, Donald Trump wants to use immigration as a campaign issue. Lastly, next week, New York's third district votes to fill the seat vacated by George Santos. Does this election matter? It matters hugely, Chris. It's a big election. It's a big election because it may be an indication to Democrats how the border security issue, how the migrant issue is playing in a swing district in New York, which surprisingly went Republican after being held by the Democrats for many years. Democrats have a real chance to flip that seat back, but the border security issue seems to be issue number one in that race. And number two, just practically, if Democrats can flip that seat, it's one more seat that Mike Johnson can't count on when he tries to impeach Mayorkas or when he tries to bring up any other legislation. So it matters tremendously in the House of Representatives right now. When George Santos won, he wasn't known at that point to be the fabricating, lying, misrepresenting, faking, quirky fellow that ended up being revealed. That district voted Republican. Will they switch from Republican lean just because the person that they chose ended up to be kicked out of Congress? Or do they maintain, and yes, because of the border issue that you've described, but what has occurred, it will be really interesting. What I'm really looking at is have events occurred that are now pushing that district back to being Democrat voting? We're going to leave it there. We're going to send great thanks and quick apologies to Simon D and Alex L and Chuck F and Dan C, who all wrote in mailbag, all of whom also had really nice comments about some of our comments last week, it having been our first year. couple folks noting that, no, it's not just uh, our parents who have listened to every episode. Thank you for the notes. Thanks to folks for listening. And a lot of news. I tell you what, Tegan. Why don't we do this again next week? Buckle up, Chris. We're going to have a lot of weeks like this.